you have a Bible, open it up to Psalm 121. Psalm 121. We're continuing our Psalm series. If you don't have a Bible, it's on page 516. There are some Bibles nearby if you want to grab one of those. Page 516. Psalm 121. Our Psalm series, we've called it Collide, Emotion Meets Truth in the Psalms. And what we've been trying to learn is this biblical tension of being really genuinely emotionally honest and also submitted to the truth. Uh, And we've talked about this before. Some of you, just by personality, you're a truth person. And you're kind of suspicious when I even say the word emotion, right? It's okay, I I know you're here. Uh, And then some of you are emotion people, and you're like, yeah, 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 let's, let's get onto the feel-good stuff. Let's stop talking about truth and ideas so much, right? Uh, and so we, we tend to run to one thing or the other, and biblically, we're to hold those things together. We're, we are to be really whole, emotional people that are honest about our grieving and our uh, sadness and our happiness and our good days and our bad days, to bring that into our, our prayer and into our Christian relationships and into our worship. But we're also, at the same time, to be submitted to God's Word to be submitted to God's truth. So we see that worked out really beautifully in the Psalms. It is the mental health book of the Bible. Uh, So if if you have anxiety, if you have depression, if you're struggling emotionally and mentally, this is the book that models emotional help. And it is that tension of both honesty and submission to the truth. In Psalm 121, we're calling it this morning, where does our help come from? Uh, It's really the beginning of the Psalm. Where does our help come from? Where do you look for help? Where do you run for help when life is hard? As we've worked through the Psalms, we've seen some Psalms that have emphasized the difficulties of life, the hardness of life, and we've seen other Psalms that have emphasized the hope that we have in God. This Psalm is one that's really emphasizing the hope we have in God, but remember it's speaking to a context the biblical writers know, we know, God knows that life is hard. And so we're celebrating God's goodness, the help that we get from God, but in the midst of of a hard world, of a hard life. Uh, The other thing I want you to know about this psalm is it's a part of this uh, ending collection, this collection towards the end of the book of Psalms. It's called the Songs of Ascents. So if you look at the top of Psalm 121, there's several psalms in this section that say a song of ascents, and that means ascending up the hill to Jerusalem. Uh, Mount Zion, the capital, the temple, That was up on a mountain. Um, So where they lived in the day-to-day was a pretty arid, hot place, kind of like where we are right now, right? It's 100 degrees outside. That's kind of the way Israel was. But then they would have these festival times, maybe two or three, four times a year, depending on which festivals your family was able to go to, where they would go up, basically going to camp, going up in the mountains. It was going to be cooler up there where the temple was. They were going to get a little uh, reprieve from the heat, and they were going to get to worship and be with God. And so these songs of ascents are songs they would sing as they climbed the hill. So that's what it's talking about, ascent, they're going up, they're climbing the hill, they'd sing these camp songs basically together. That's what songs of ascents are about. So let's listen to the text, read along with me, uh, Psalm 121, it says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Amen. 
Let me pray and ask God to uh, teach us, to help our hearts to hear what he has to say this morning. Let's pray. God, we ask for your help today. We ask that your spirit would meet us here. Um, God, you know the, the struggles and the stresses that we're under right now. Um, I know there are, there are many things going on throughout our community, many pains that people are struggling through, and we ask that you would open our eyes and our hearts so that we could hear you speaking into our lives, that we would know that you're with us, that we would have the faith uh, to see you, to see reality. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, the title of the sermon this morning, Where Does Our Help Come From?, comes from the first couple of verses of the psalm that just asks that question. Where, where does our help come from? I look up to the hills. Where does our help come from? Where does my help come from? What's going to help me in this world? And that word help in the Hebrew is ezer. Um, and that word appears in the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 2. Anybody know the first time that that comes up in Genesis chapter 2 where it talks about a helper? Y'all know that story? Some of you might know what I'm referencing. Um, God creates everything, and God says, it's good, it's good, it's good. It's like, kind of like the first song, the first poem of the Bible is creation. God just celebrating what he's doing. He's creating this, this beautiful world, and it's good, and it's good, and it's good. And it's the repeated chorus of Genesis chapter 1. God creates man, and it's really the height of creation. And God marches all the animals before man, and as the leader of creation, man names all the animals, and he sees the animals coming through in pairs kind of highlighting his aloneness. And it says in the text, after saying everything's good, it says it's not good for man to be alone. And so God creates a helper suitable for him. So the first time this word help appears in the Bible, it's Eve being created for Adam. He's all alone. He's on his own. He needs help, right? And those of you that have husbands, you know your husband can't be left alone, right? Like we need help. Uh, More broadly than that, I think God created people for relationships. God is a Trinitarian God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, has this perfect community within himself, and he creates people in his image to need help, to need each other. But beyond that, once we start to move through the text, we recognize that that's part of how God created us in his image, to need other people, but really we still need God. But that's not enough to have human community, we still need God, our ultimate help, our ultimate savior, our ultimate assistance is from God himself. And that's what the text is pressing us to see, that really we need the help of God, the God that made all things, the God that created the world. He is our real help. And so I want to challenge you to think as we're talking this morning through Psalm 121, I want you to be thinking about where you run to for help. What what are the things that you think are going to help you? So for many of us, they're good things, right? Good things like a steady job or good money or a a good relationship. And those are fine. Those are gifts from God. But think about, is that the ultimate place you're looking? Or do you recognize your need for God as your ultimate help? That's what the psalm is challenging us to sing. I love how in Genesis chapter 2, when Eve is presented to Adam, he just exclaims, right? Woo! It's, It's like he, you know, Hebrew scholars are thinking he just like yells out or he sings. We're not sure exactly what that's like in the Hebrew, but it seems to be something akin to a musical. Any of you ever been to a musical before or watched one on TV? My wife was really into these when we first got married, and I didn't like them because they seemed unrealistic, right? Are you with me? Like, who breaks out in song? And I, as I grew as a Christian, though, I started to realize the problem is not with the musicals. The problem is with me, right? The problem is with my own heart because life is supposed to be a musical. Our fault is we make life boring, 
And we see that with Adam and Eve. Adam's like a helper, woohoo, and he celebrates and he, he sings. Well, Psalm 121 says we should be singing to God. We should be celebrating, God, you're my help. Man, life is hard, but God, you're my help. This is difficult what I'm going through, God, and I'm crying through this, but, but you're my help. And we discipline ourselves to sing. We discipline ourselves to celebrate God and the help that he provides. As we work through the text, he moves from this word help to a repeated word that's going to appear again and again throughout the rest of the verses, which is keeper. So we're looking for help, and he says, we know that God is our help because he keeps us. So you probably heard that as I read through the text. This is the word keep that's often translated as watch or preserve, and it's this idea of God is the one that's taking care of us. So this God who is our helper because he's made all things is keeping us. Nothing else can really take care of me like, like God can. He's my ultimate keeper. And so we'll see this as we move through the text. The first thing that we see is this creator of, of all things, this God who's my, who is my help, that says in verse 2, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. So he's the creator. This creator is alert. Look at verses 3 and 4. I want to just center on this first idea in verses 3 and 4 that the creator who made us and who made all things is alert. He's not falling asleep. He's alert. He's awake. Verse 3 and 4 says, He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. If you remember this other story in the book of Kings where Elijah uh, is a prophet and he's having a competition with these prophets of Baal, these false prophets. And they both said, we'll pray and ask God to send down fire to burn up a sacrifice. And the prophets of Baal are cutting themselves and singing and dancing and doing all these things to try to wake up their God. And Elijah's making fun of them. Like, where is he? Is he in the bathroom? Is he asleep? What's wrong with your God? And many of the gods or the worshipers of the various gods in the ancient Near East thought that the gods needed to be woken up. They thought that their activities would kind of work some kind of magic to wake up their gods, right? He was asleep, and if we do the right things or say the right things or do the right dance or make the right sacrifice, we can awaken the power of the gods. There's even, sadly, some health and wealth teachers that teach that kind of stuff today. But that's not what the Bible teaches about our God. He's not waiting on us to activate him. He is active. He's alert. He's awake. He's involved in our life specifically in his covenant people. Here it says Israel, and the New Testament promises us that Jesus is the ultimate Israelite, so we have the same promise in Christ. That God is awake for us. He's involved in our life. He's the Savior of the world. He's the one that uh, is the fulfillment of the promise of Abraham that these people would bless the whole world. Well, that blessing comes through Jesus, and we see through Jesus that God is actively involved in our world, that we're not abandoned. But even though we have cancer, even though we've gone through a divorce, even though we are lonely, even though we are sick, even though we've lost our job, he's still actively involved in the world. And he's proven that through Jesus. That Jesus came and met us in our struggling, in our suffering, and took our sins upon himself and gives us freely his righteousness. That if we trust him, we're set free from the penalty and from the pain of our sin. Well, we need to remember that we, we don't have to wake up God. He doesn't fall asleep on the job. Again, it says he doesn't slumber. That's a word for sleep. If you didn't know that, that's where a slumber party comes from, right? So slumber means sleep. He's not slumbering. He's not sleeping. He will neither slumber nor sleep, it says in verse 4. 
Uh, any of you ever started to fall asleep while you're driving at night? Has that ever happened to you? Some of you? Yeah, it's scary, isn't it? I have a picture here of night driving. It's a, a, dark, a dark night with headlights there. Sometimes that happens. Uh, my wife and I have worked out a pretty good program. We've been married almost 21 years now, so we have a pretty good agreement going. Now, when we drive late at night, I drive, and uh, the way that my wife keeps me awake is she falls asleep for 10 minutes, and then she panics, wakes up, and says, are you okay? Okay? <laughs> so that's kind of like a little routine that we have. And I'm like, yeah, I'm all right, right? I'm awake. Okay. And then we drive, and I start to get tired, and she's asleep for 10 minutes, and then she wakes back up again. Are you okay? And we just kind of do this over and over again every 10 or 20 minutes um, until she you know, has a complete anxiety attack and can't breathe anymore. But she, ha- she keeps me awake, right? Because she knows I'm not all-powerful like God. Um, I don't stay alert and awake all the time. Sometimes I fall asleep. That's the world, that's the world we live in, right? Sometimes we fall asleep. But the God who made all things, the creator of the world, he, he never falls asleep. And we don't have to wake him up. We don't have to live our life nervously drifting off and then going, oh no, I've got to do something to wake God back up. God's forgotten me. I need to wake him back up again. He, no, he's alert. He hasn't forgotten you. He's involved in your life. And our, our congregation right now is, is struggling with, with a lot of different things. We've got a lot of folks in our, in our community with, with cancer a lot of folks going through uh, relational problems. A lot of people uh, lost their jobs. A lot, of, a lot of struggles. And the temptation when we're going through stuff like that is to think that God's asleep. It's to think that, well, maybe I did something wrong. Maybe, maybe I messed up and I need to do this magic trick or take these five steps to wake him back up, to activate him in my life. He's, he's always there. He's always awake. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. As I said, it's, it's proven to us in the life of Jesus that Jesus entered into the suffering with us and suffered for us on the cross. So the, the promise of the gospel is really securing and guaranteeing that through Jesus' resurrection, he's conquered this sin and death. Hasn't all gone away. We're still living through the sin and death, but we have a hope outside of the sin and death that we live in every day, that Jesus has conquered it. And that by faith, we can be forgiven, we can be set free, we can look forward to the to the future day of resurrection. But right now we're, we're suffering and our lives are struggling and we're going through hard things, all of us different kinds of hard things. And I want to encourage you that in the midst of these struggles that, that God's not asleep, that he's awake and he's alert and he knows what's going on. R.C. Sproul says it this way. He says there can, there can be no maverick molecule in the universe. It's not possible because God is in control. Rick Warren, kind of from the other aisle, theologically, says it this way, that all trials, all struggles in our life are father-filtered. All of our trials are father-filtered. Right? He's, he's intimately involved. He knows what's happening. It's not like when a bad thing happens, God was asleep, and oh no, things all went wrong, and you need to wake him back up, and he needs to jump back in. No, he's intimately involved in our life. And and that's a hard thing to reckon, right? That's a hard thing to make sense of as we struggle, as we go through pain because we think, well, if God loves me, I I want to keep him as far as possible away from anything that causes me pain. But I think it's more scary to think that God's not involved. I think it's more scary to think that God's not involved, that he's forgotten, that he's asleep, that he's not completely in control. It comforts me to believe and to trust that he is alert, that he's awake, that he knows what's going on. I look at Colossians 1.24 where Paul says, 
that Paul's own sufferings are used to deliver Christ's sufferings to the world. And the way Paul phrases it is he he says that he fills up in his flesh what was lacking in Christ's afflictions. And and we know from the grammar and from the way that that's worded that he's, he's not saying that Christ's suffering on the cross wasn't enough to pay for the sins of the world. What he's saying is that Christ's sufferings haven't been delivered yet to the whole world. And so in Christ's, or in Paul's suffering, he's bringing Christ's suffering to others. And we can believe, we can trust that in our suffering, God is bringing Christ's suffering to others. Again, I know that's, that's difficult. Um, and we want to be very careful as followers of Christ that when someone is suffering, we don't just swoop in and be like, hey, God's got a plan. Hey, God's doing great things. You need to make sure you stop and you cry with those that are struggling. That's what the New Testament tells us to do. But when we're struggling, we can believe that God's awake. When we're suffering, we can believe that God's alert, that he hasn't forgotten us, that he's not gone on vacation, and we've got to do 10 things to wake him back up. He's there. He's here. He's with us. He knows. We, we can trust him. And so we need to have faith in the midst of our suffering that God never sleeps, that he never slumbers, that he's never gone, that he's never forgotten us. The next thing that we see in verse 5 and 6 is that the creator, the one who makes all things, the one that is our ultimate helper, he shelters us. So he comes along and he, he comforts us in our difficulty. It's going to talk about the difficulty that we live through in this world and that God is a, a reprieve, a relief, a shade in the heat of this world. Look at 5 and 6. It says, the Lord is your keeper. So there's that Word again, that keeper word that's going to be used throughout the whole psalm. It's the Hebrew word shamar. God keeps us. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. So the right hand is uh, the working hand. It's the, the sword hand. It's the warrior's hand, right? It's the, the hand that gets things done, unless you're left-handed. No offense. But normally, right, normally it's the right hand. That's just kind of statistically it's the right hand. And so when the scripture references the right hand, it's just talking about your strength, Right? And so you need your strength to keep doing battle in a hard world, in a, in a world of sickness and death and suffering and, and troubles and heat, right? And so here he's using this shade in a hot place metaphor. And remember, Israel is a place kind of like central Texas, a very hot place, 100 degrees outside. You want shade, right? And he says that God is that shade. He's that shade at your right hand. He can help you to keep working, help you to keep going. It says the sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night, by night. You don't have to be afraid of uh, the daytime, the heat, wearing you out. He's your shade. Also, you don't have to be afraid of uh, the mysteries of the nighttime. He's, he's going to be there on both sides of it. You don't have to be afraid of the dark. You don't have to be afraid of the heat. He's going to comfort you through the, the rhythms of this creation, the rhythms of pain and heat and hotness and difficulty and the ups and downs of this life. He's going to be with you through all that. I have a picture of a man a uh, construction worker who's working out in the hot sun, drinking Gatorade. For those of you that are new to Central Texas, make sure you drink plenty, okay? This is just your little health warning. Make sure you're drinking plenty of fluids. It's hot. We got spoiled. Uh, May and June was like the coolest May and June we've ever had here, like forever. Maybe not forever, but for 41 years. It's the coolest May and June we've ever had. And then all of a sudden now it's, it's normal and 100 degrees again. Make sure you're drinking plenty of fluids. We had some deacons working out on the playground, Yesterday, they were repairing some stuff on the playground, um, and I'm not real good at fixing things, and it went a little longer than they thought, and so I thought, well, I, 
I can't really fix anything, but I can bring them some Gatorade, right? So I brought them some Gatorade. And we were out there working in the sun. And a couple of them were under the playground working on stuff. But a couple of them were out still exposed. So I went and got one of our umbrellas. And I just stood there with an umbrella over one of their heads to g- just give them a little bit of shade. Hopefully it, you know, kept them alive just a little bit longer because it, so, it was so hot. What, what the text is saying is that God meets us in our suffering, right? He comes and he walks with us. We'd, we'd really honestly prefer to just be zapped out of it, Right? We'd prefer to just be in a cool climate. We'd prefer to just be away from all suffering, away from all stress, to not have to deal with it anymore. And the, the big story, where it's all going, is, you know, the end of the book, that's where we're headed. The end of the book says that's where the story's going. The new heavens and the new earth, no more tears, no more pain, no more crying. That's the future we're headed for. But for some reason, God's got us walking through the difficulty now. So, so no matter what your suffering or what your difficulty is, know that God can meet you in that suffering. God can bring shade when that sun is beating down on you. God can come and meet you there. He doesn't always magically transport us out, but he can walk with us and comfort us through that difficulty. And so I want to encourage you again to call out to God in the midst of that struggle, in the midst of that difficulty. And a a diagnostic question I want to ask you, just a question to to think about where your heart is and where your life is, where your faith is, is what is the shade and what is the comfort that you run to when things do get hot? What's the shade that you run to? What's the comfort that you're going to? If you're struggling with loneliness, you may say, "I, I just need someone. I just need a relationship, anything. And I don't really care if it's appropriate or a good one or a healthy one or one that fits God's standards of holiness. I just, I just want someone to care for me. So I'm just going to run to that to escape the difficulty of what I'm going through right now. And I would say the scripture encourages you that God can be your shade. You, you don't have to run to something else to be your protector, to be your helper, to be your shade, to be your keeper in the hardness of this world. You can go to God. You can call to him. Maybe you struggle with control and you're trying to arrange your finances or your, uh, your job or, or whatever it may be. You might be trying to manipulate the people around you because you want control because you want to feel like uh, you can hold on to things and things can be sure when everything else is crazy. I encourage you, you don't, you don't have to manipulate people or your finances. You can trust God. You, you can go to Him. You can see Him as your shade, as the one that meets you in the difficulty of this world. The last thing that we see as we, we move through the text is verses 7 and 8. It, it really kind of, he blows it up and he says, God, God's going to be your, your help for everything. He's going to keep you for your whole life. He, he's going to be your very life itself. So looking at verses 7 and 8, the creator is your life. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in. From this time forth and forevermore. He's trying to go global here, right? He's just trying to say everything, okay? He went very specific before, right? God's going to not fall asleep. He's going to keep your foot from sleep, uh, slipping. He's going to be involved in the intimate details of your life. Now he's going big, and he's saying God's, God's there for everything. He is your life. He's going to keep your life. He's going to keep you from all evil. He's going to protect you going out, you're coming in. He's going to protect this time. He's going to protect that time he's going to protect all of it. So he's, he's going uh, universal with his claims here. And this is to help us to see that, that God is our very life. God, God is the one that keeps our, 
our very life. He is the one that uh, we must find shelter in. The way the New Testament phrases this is repeatedly over and over again in the New Testament. It says we are in Christ. We have every blessing in Christ. He is our ark to protect us from the flood. He is the one that shelters us, that saves us, that gives us life. Our adoption is in Christ. Our forgiveness is in Christ. Our resurrection is in Christ. And so here it tells us in verse 7, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. It's a big, big promise. Um, This reminds me, and I actually saw this from Derek Kidner that writes a commentary on, on the Psalms. He says that it reminded him and me as well of the promises that Jesus makes in the New Testament. Where on the one hand, uh, kind of side by side, Jesus says, God knows everything about you. He's intimately involved in your life. And by the way, you're going to suffer terrible things too. In Luke chapter 21 and in Matthew chapter 10, in both of those places it's worded slightly differently. It talks about how God has numbered every hair in our head. God's numbered every hair in our head. I have a picture here of a little boy getting a haircut. Um, I just got a haircut, and there's no way I could count every hair on my head, right? It's just not even possible, but God knows every hair on my head. God is intimately involved in our life. God knows every hair on your head. And I see some people, there's, there's no hair there. He knows everything about you, right? He's, he's intimately involved in your life. He knows every strand of your DNA. How about that? He knows everything about us. He's intimately involved in our life. He loves us that much. And in the same breath, Jesus says, and oh, by the way, you're going to suffer. You're going to be a martyr for my sake. You're going to go through hard things. And when you go through those hard things, don't think that that means God has forgotten you. Don't think that that means that God's not there. Jesus says in Matthew 10, uh, 28, Don't fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father's will. But even the hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are more value than than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who's in heaven. Don't think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. Jesus was promising his followers, hard stuff is coming. It's going to be hard. And again, the big picture, the big story is we're headed to the happy ending. The happy ending is coming, but we're not there yet. We haven't made it to the happy ending yet. And God still loves us, even though we're going through the hard part in the middle of the story. Even though you have cancer, even though you're going through relational problems, even though you're depressed, even though you've lost your job, God is still with you. God is still intimately involved in our life. He is our life. He he is our only hope. And so that's our promise. And I would say the biggest application of this is that we should still be praying people. The application we've seen throughout all the Psalms when we talk about emotion meets truth in the Psalms is that we would emotionally be honest with God and with each other and then submit ourselves to his truth. That we would work out this wrestling match between the struggles and the pain we're going through and the reality of what God says about us in the world. That's what we see in the Psalms. And that looks like 
private prayer, that looks like small group relationships and encouragement, that looks like corporate worship where we sing these songs to God. But all of those are, are different variations of prayer. And I would challenge you to be a, a praying people, to be a people who, who takes your struggles to God, to be a people who sets aside time to talk to God and to listen to God and to speak his words back to him in the scriptures. And as we do that, we will more and more believe and trust and celebrate that he really is our life. The creator is our life. He's, he's our only hope. We look up to the hills and we can question, where, where does my help come from? Our help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Romans 8, 18 says it this way. Paul says, I don't, I don't think our present sufferings are worth comparing to the glory that's going to be revealed to us. The, the present sufferings don't magically go away, but they're not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to us. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you that you love us. And again, we, we trust that that's true because you've given yourself to us in Jesus. Jesus died for our sins, and he rose from the dead. So God, I pray that we would trust that reality, but also trust it in the day-to-day as, as you use our lives to be of use for others. God, help us to, to hear and to see how you want to use our sufferings to bring your blessing to others. God, we thank you that you're good, and we thank you that you love us, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen.